You're listening to All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live, with your hosts, Eric Provoznik, Jim Culver, Marty Zamora, and Christine Leninger. I'm Larry Jaffe. I'm the author of Record Store Day, the most improbable comeback of the 21st century. You're listening to All Over the Place, where the fun Saturday never ends. Fun Saturday. Love that word. We are back again here on All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live. Also, this week, I want to send some love out to our sponsor, friend, and a recent guest on some, uh, she was on Have Some Three for Fun, Maribel Pena, our sponsor, our money maximizer, and just want to send some love her way. And don't forget, folks, you can be where you want to be financially. You can learn to be your own bank while you build your legacy and create wealth, generate wealth. Don't forget to contact Maribel on Instagram at Maribel Pina. That's M-A-R-I-B-E-L-P-I-N-A. Or check her out on Facebook, Maribel Pina. Thanks again, Maribel, for being a sponsor of All Over the Place. And with us tonight, we have Jim up there in the Pacific Northwest. Hey, you, Marty hey, from down a little a few, a few miles south in California. Marty's with us. Back in action, safely back from his trip to the East Coast in New York. And Christine with me here in the uh, the lovely Canyon State of Arizona. And also with us tonight, we have a special guest with us, Jeffrey Bryan, musician, composer, songwriter. Welcome, Jeffrey, to All Over the Place. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And right out of the gate, you've got on your KTEL All-Stars t-shirt. And this is a band. Shameless plug. No shame whatsoever. This band, they they click the buttons that always work so well. The nostalgia is such a powerful thing. Nostalgia is. And the KTEL All-Stars are playing the hits from the 70s. And Jeffrey, tell us, you know, uh, what got you into tapping into that very particular nostalgic drug and drug with the 70s? Yeah, well, I think I speak for a lot of musicians when it comes to that particular decade or that era. It was the era of songwriting. It it, it was sort of um, songwriting mirrored with great production values on records. It was sort of where it all started. You had the 50s and the 60s, and that's where the songs started, you know, the pop kind of culture started developing with, with mainstream music. But it was the 70s that it just kind of, turned into its own art form. And I think that for a lot of musicians that are of a certain age, perhaps maybe, you know, 40 and and older, that is kind of where it all started. You know, that was kind of uh, Mecca, (laughs) so to speak, you know, that was like, you know, if if you could have been alive at any time period from uh, the fifties to now for music, seems like the seventies would be it for me. Absolutely. Most definitely where I got my first taste. And I was very fortunate. I grew up in a a very jukebox kind of household where, you know, my dad, mom, they listened to about everything, whether it was Cher or, uh, you know, Motown. Oh, God, Three Dog Night, all that stuff, all just put put in together. Elton John, you want to talk about singer songwriter, uh, you know, all that stuff. And definitely so so eclectic and just you could turn on the radio and wouldn't have to change a channel for any of those acts. And and what's interesting yeah, it's what's interesting about what you just said is it's exactly why we called the band the KTEL All-Stars. Not because those records were very good. They actually were cheap replications of chopped up versions of songs. But what they did was they embodied, they gave everybody a whole bunch of different songs. You could have a, 
a Neil Diamond song, a Boston song, a Kiss song, a Livy Newton John, all on the same record. Yeah. And and you were exposed to things even that you even if you didn't want to be. And I think that's what made it special. And it was so iconic for that time period. Uh, so it, it made sense to name a band, the KTEL All-Stars. And I, I got to ask him because I did grow up in that era. And, you know, uh, is there a Ronco All-Stars band out there that you guys are going to maybe get on the road with at some point? I know. Yeah, right. Uh, I hope not. Um, I did, Ronco put out records. Too. I mean, you could go back to Candlelight. Remember Candlelight Records even before that? Oh my God, um, yes. Yeah. That was probably 60s and 70s. Um, but they were another like cheap label that put out compilations. I, I don't think so. I mean, fortunately, it's we're not going to run into uh, copyright issues and issues with KTEL. They're still a company. They're, they still own the publishing. That's why the yeah. name of the show is the Totally 70s Show featuring mm -hmm. the KTEL All-Stars. Gotcha. And it just dawned on me too, the Ronco, in addition to uh, getting the, those albums out there, they had uh, the nice little chintzy product. So don't, don't, don't call now. Don't put that phone down. Not yet. That was Ronco. How can yeah, I forget but that? But there's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Exactly. <laughs> so, and, and with, you know, this, uh, the, such an eclectic mix of songs, how's the band come up with a set list? Well, it, it was easy. Uh, 1970 to 1979, not outside those years. Top, it has to be in a top 10. It could be a one-hit wonder or a big hit, uh, but it had to appear on a KTEL record. So that's, that's how we, and we want to stick to the AM. We're not, we're not, we don't do a lot of disco and, and some of the other stuff that was popular. We, we like the AM rock. Uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit of, I wouldn't call it classic rock. It's, 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 it's prior to that. It's, it's really uh, album rock. You know? Sure. The stuff you'd hear on Casey Kasem's America's Top 40. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, that was the eighties. Was he around in the seventies? I remember, well, yeah, I, I came of age more in the 80s, but uh, I think I started listening to Casey in the 70s. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely. Possible, like, yeah. Yeah, if yeah. It was on a, it's perfect. If it was on a KTEL album, boom, it's it's a, it's a phenomenon. Yeah, you know what's funny about KTEL, and I, it wasn't something that we thought about when we put this project together, but KTEL did not make good records. Their whole, their whole business model was making, selling crap. You know, the Vegematics and the slicers and dicers and all that stuff. And they got into the music business and they they took songs. They bought the, the publishing, chopped the songs up to make them shorter to fit on the album and then cheapened the vinyl so that the vinyl was cheaper for them. So the artists hated <laughs> how their songs are being represented on a KTEL record. But the record companies were like, wait a minute, but they're selling a lot more records than we are. And, and so it was sort of a love-hate relationship with that company. They they kind of accidentally made themselves important, you know, to the record industry. Well, I don't know if anyone noticed, they sort of invented streaming. You know, Spotify. What do you mean? What do you what do you do exactly. on Spotify? You just they have... were the they were the Spotify playlists of the seventies. Yeah. You know, I mean, back really... then you had the only other way to do it, and we know we're all guilty of this is putting the cassette player on waiting for your song to come on for the stupid DJ oh. to shut up and then hitting record and yes. then waiting for the next song you like. And then you got your mixtape mm -hmm. and curse and at him when they cut the end of the song off <laughs> yeah, or right. talked over it or talked <laughs> yeah. over it. Right. But KTEL, I guess they somehow tapped into that, that uh, business model. They knew that somehow there was a, a business 
uh, for that or a market for that. And uh, they weren't wrong. You know? Yeah, they, they, def they definitely hit the sweet spot with the, uh, uh, it seems to me kind of like a pop rock. Um, it was the yeah. Casey Kasem, the, the countdown type, but it was a, a little more rock. Um, I noticed uh, that, uh, and this maybe you see a bump on your end. Uh, the the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Yep, those were you, you mostly totally the pop it. rock type songs. It's funny. Ktel gave artists of the '60s a resurgence, and a, they they became more relevant when they put them on compilations in the '70s. Guardians of the Galaxy went ahead and took all those '70s songs and made them relevant again. You know, 35, 40 years later. So. It was gift. Thank you. That's awesome. You know, I'm sure that the original artists are happy about it too. Oh, I bet they are. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, 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 you know, be, besides all of the, the marketing aspect of this and the, it's kind of tongue in cheek and it's, it's a little, um, you know, it's cute, but the truth is, is we absolutely love this music. And, and the thing is we're passionate. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're pretty accomplished musicians and we don't use backing tracks. We don't use any computers or extra trickery or anything to reproduce the songs. The whole point of it is that the band is traveled from the 70s to the time traveled to the, to the present day to save rock and roll, to remind people of what it was like when people actually played their instruments. And so we don't play songs that we don't have instrumentation for. So you're not going to hear an Earth, Wind & Fire song not because we don't like it, but we don't have a horn section. So we're not going to try to put it on tracks. We we're all five singers. We all sing lead, um, you know, just the way they did in the seventies. And, and the last thing I'll say, and I'll shut up is that in the recording studios back then you had to play to get it, what to get it on the record. You had to do it. Um, in other words, now, you know, you can record it and fix it later. You can, you know, auto tune it, whatever you got to do. But back in those days, that wasn't an option. It wasn't even in their brain to, to, to understand how to do that. You had to learn the way to go about it was to play the instrument proficiently. So it created a different kind of musician than you see today. I'm not saying that there aren't good musicians or creative people. I'm just saying that it's evolved into something that you're not going to get again. It's a one time in history. And so we're kind of paying homage to that. We want to go back to showing people that playing live music um, and, and staying true to the records as much as possible can still be done. So Love how it. did you decide who was going to be in the band? Did you like go out looking for guys to fit the suit or did you like, and who, like, how'd you decide who's going to be like? Each well, person? I mean, first of all, I was approached by the guitar player and the, the bass player. Um, so I, the, we know, you know, in our circles of musicians, you know, who do we know who would be interested in this, you know? Um, so that's where you start. Um, but everybody that's in this band, we're, we're around the same age, you know? And, and so we have the same reference points. Uh, you know, we were probably learning the same songs at the same time when we were kids. So that part of that conversation is easy. Um, but everybody in the band had to be a fan of the seventies or that wouldn't work. Um, so that was a prerequisite and you had to be able to sing. So that kind of, you know, you might know a, a, an incredible bass player, but if he wasn't willing to sing or couldn't sing, we, we probably wouldn't be asking him, you know, we, we knew what we needed. So it kind of narrowed the field a little bit. 
And I want to jump back. You brought up auto-tune and said so indicative of so much today. And, and I'm, I'm not going to get all, get off my Nerdy lawn. about it. <laughs> especially, especially about, you know, my loving music as much as I do. But, you know, yeah. um, a guy like Post Malone, very talented musician, talented guy, knows how to get a good pop song. But auto-tune, you think you go back to uh, Peter Frampton. He didn't use that voice uh, distorter the entire song. Yeah, but, but I think a little, little I, bit I, of I completely feel you, man. And I totally get where you're coming from. And I agree with you, actually. Yeah. But here's really the issue here. It isn't so much that he's using auto-tune to make his records. That's really not the point. The point is, is that in the 70s, you would go to the record store because it was an event. Your band, your favorite band, or some band would come out. You'd go check it out. You'd get the record. You'd come home. you sit down. You'd smell it. You'd take it out of the cover. You'd look at the lyrics. You'd put the record on. You'd shut your eyes, and you'd listen to the damn music. And yeah. you'd be someplace. It would transport you somewhere. We don't live in that era anymore. And so, you know, obviously, for obvious reasons, we have a million and one distractions and other things that take precedence. And one one negative, sad thing, perhaps I'll say is is that music is now what you do, what you listen to while you're doing other things. And it isn't a main event like it was one, at one time. And so getting back to the auto tune. So when artists are changing their voice and modifying sounds and having computers come up with melodies instead of them sitting there and figuring them out. That isn't really indicative of them being poor artists. It's more indicative of the fact that it's not music that they're selling. You know, they're selling uh, a marketing, uh, uh, they're selling the whole, a different package than, than it's not the music. That's the most important thing. And that's I, not I, to I, say, I'm sorry. No, I, I believe Matt Dillon's character got it right in in uh, singles. They're selling a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not really untrue in the '70s, in the sense that you know everyone tried to look and emulate, you know, Zeppelin or or their favorite band or whatever. But the difference is is that in order to create that music, you had to have the skills to create it. So there took some kind of. I mean, you you could walk into a recording studio with somebody and not know them, but know that they probably have spent 10,000 hours on their instrument. You know, mm -hmm. if you get my point nowadays, it's, it's not so much that people don't or that won't. It's just that it's not really what's important anymore. And that I find a little sad, but it also has evolved. Music has evolved into something different mm -hmm. and we, we have to ex accept it. <laughs> Well, one thing I do like about uh, the resurgence of vinyl now, I think I, I look at, uh, you know, uh, Christine and her three boys are kind of channeling them going down to the record store, you know, realizing it, like you said, it's an experience. You, you sit down, you look at the gatefold, you read the liner notes, you, you get to know a little bit more about your artists. And I'm glad that there are more and more artists every year deciding to release vinyl. And yeah, me too. Do, you, do you think maybe the, a, a pendulum even, Swinging well, back a little bit can can well, help you realize that music is something to be more experienced than just promoted and a lifestyle thing. Yes and no. I mean, the, the thing about the vinyl is they're putting the auto-tuned songs on vinyl. So, Touché. Um, yeah, you're still getting the same stuff. It's, it's still on digital. Vinyl. Why are they putting on vinyl? Because they think they're going to sell more records because it's trendy. Uh, the reason for it to be on vinyl isn't for the reasons that you and I would 
have grown up with. So it's, again, it's, it's sort of a, it's, it's been manipulated a little bit and evolved and changed. It's not the same, but it, but it is, but there is, it's in the right direction. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. The spirit of it is right. Just got to teach them going into a record store and just flipping through and finding something that you may not, may not have been in your wheelhouse. Yeah. Baby steps, baby steps. Well, the thing is, you know, the internet, you can find anything under the sun. I, you can't possibly listen to all the songs that are on that are available for streaming on the internet in a lifetime. But you're not going to do it because the internet is de designed to give you what you're looking for. So if you're looking for, you know, uh, Post Malone, you're going to get artists in that ilk of that, mm -hmm. of that style. And it's never going to try the, the algorithms aren't going to show you anything else unless you go outside that. So it takes some personal responsibility. So if you're not, if you don't have an older brother or sibling or somebody to, to say, Hey, you know, let me turn you on to some kiss or take a listen to this or whatever. There may never go outside of their algorithmic zone. And that's, that's problematic. If you want my opinion. Well, it, talk about uh, having to train something. My algorithms, it took a long time for it to say, oh, I want to listen to Van Halen and Prince and Weird Al Yankovic all in the same set list or playlist. It yeah. takes patience. Yeah. And it, you, you got to have a lot of patience. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it won't listen. 10 years. And yeah. don't forget Survivor, right? <laughs> of course. Well, yeah. the, the beauty of Survivor, honestly, though, for them is that they have sort of uh, you know, with Rocky three, Rocky four and karate kids songs and all those movies. And every one of those movies has had a resurgence in the last few years, especially karate kid with, um, Cobra Kai, uh, you know, their legacy is just never going to end. You know, now a lot of people that are younger, 20 and younger have never seen the band, maybe never even heard of it, but they all know Eye of the tiger or burning heart from their favorite iconic movies of the, you know, yesteryear or whatever, you know. Um, so they have a, I think a little bit of an edge when it comes to staying relevant, but um, anyway, that was my two cents about that. Well, and I umpire baseball and softball, youth softball and in high school and stuff. And so, and a lot of times in between innings, they'll play. Oh. And I'll, uh, I'll quiz the kids and say, I'll give you an extra ball or strike. If you can tell me who sings <laughs> this song or what movie this is from. So I, I, I do want to steer him down the correct road. Does, does the kid go, well, hold on, let me get my phone. Oh, just, no one has ever gotten it right, so I've never had to. You know, like, I'll neither deny nor confirm what just came out of my my otherwise. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, what, what's wrong? Uh, uh, I am a good umpire. <laughs> you just snitched on yourself, bro. I did, I did, didn't I? But, uh, well, but... Uh, with the uh, people coming to the shows, I, you recently played uh, Murrieta's uh, a birthday party for the city of Murrieta with yeah. the, the uh, with the KTEL All Stars and and going out there and performing. Yes, obviously you're going to get people of, of our generation there for the nostalgia kick. But uh, are, what what's the uh, audience been like with the, with the younger kids? Maybe just even if they're coming with their parents yeah. and getting it's, close. To them. It's actually fantastic, to be honest. And the reason for that is you don't have to understand music to to i mean understand the mechanics of music to know when something feels real and they don't get a lot of that you know you get a lot of computerized music because you know you get a lot of 
people that are in recording studios at home that are using algorithms and AI to create their melodies and all kinds of things. And, you know, that's understandable. I mean, it's at their disposal. I suppose we would have done the same thing if we were, uh, you know, if we had those opportunities, but at the, at the end of the day, it, it doesn't, when they see people actually playing and they're hearing it, like it sounds on the records that they've heard, they're like, wait, mind blown. What's going on here? You know, and, and it, it shouldn't be that way because in the seventies, they probably would have just sat there with their arms closed. Like, yeah, whatever. We've no, those, seen those this are, Jeff, Jeffrey, that's just the guitarist at the whiskey. <laughs> we know that. Yeah, of course. But yeah, here's they, a good, huh? they must, um, they must have really, it must've been odd for a lot of these kids seeing you up there playing music. They're used to, this is what a musician, you know, they're, yeah, uh, that's right. What they're used right. to see like, wait, there's a thing that makes that. How is that possible? <laughs> exactly. And, and here's an, an important something. distinction about our band is that we try to use the actual instruments from the era. Um, and, and so, I mean, you know, we're not using synthesizers, uh, well, using synths, but we're not using uh, things that they didn't have in the in the 70s. So we're not you won't see laptops on the stage. You won't. We're not, in fact, we're not using backing tracks of any kind. So they're, they're, there's no need for computers. Um I just think people, the thing is, is in the seventies, and this is, this will go to your question, Eric, or your, your point mm. is that in the seventies, it was okay to go see a band, your favorite band or whatever, and, and watch them and not to expect it to sound just like the record. Now, I'm not saying that we don't sound like the record we do because that's our product. We have to sound like what, you know, what we're trying to emulate. But when you're the artist, who's to say, I want today is Thursday. I'd like it to sound like this. It's my creation. So it was, there's, there was, there was more space for artists mm. to be creative uh, because it was almost impossible to recreate the records with the given technology that they had, or you'd have to hire 40 people to come on stage with you and, and do it. And some bands did. If uh, a good example, that is super tramp. If you guys ever remember Supertramp, they were a phenomenal band, unbelievably talented, but they didn't sound anything like their records and they didn't try to, and they weren't, and, and they weren't ostracized for it either. It was, it wasn't expected. It was expected that when I go to a show, I'm going to see a live show. I'm going to watch them, you know, sweat and, and show me how it's made. And then I'm going to go home and I'm going to buy the record. And that's a different product. And I understand that as a consumer, they don't, that's gone now. Now it's what I hear on the, the internet or because there's no radio, what I hear on the internet, I want to hear live. So it's almost become karaoke and it's sure. not the artists necessarily artists fault. It's just the fact that that's what the, it's what the, that's what the consumer is demanding. See, I, I'm a Westerberg guy. I like my rock and roll a little sloppy. I, I want to hear some mistakes when I'm there or, or talking I, too, I, I like what they do, like change the syncopations up a little bit, change the arrangement a little bit. I, I like yeah. different. I agree with you. I'm, I, yeah, I mean, that's to me, music is uh, a contact sport. You know, yeah. it's, 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 it's an interaction between you, the audience and the band members. And it's, it's an opportunity to create something together. I guess that's why Grateful Dead was so successful for so many years. You know, they, they were one of, they're the extreme. I, you know, I wasn't a huge fan because it was almost a little too eclectic, but Never played it the um, same twice. It, it, there, there you go. I mean, that's, they're a living example of 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 art 
you know, um, being created on the spot. And, and, uh, I'm not saying that that's necessary for songs of today, but there should be, I think, I think it would be nice to see a little more of that. And I think that when people do see it, they're, they, they embrace it because it's like, wow, I, I can't do that. I, I haven't seen that before when to me, it's, you know, it's a regular Saturday night, you know? And something that kids from today don't see a lot of in today's uh, musical climate. And Jeffrey, could you do me a favor and duck your head down just a little bit? Because yeah. the keytar. I want people oh. to see the keytar key in the background. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's and what I love about it. And watching your clips, you guys are up there having fun. And, you know, I tell kids all the time. If you, oh, if look you, at that. If you can't have fun playing baseball, I don't want to talk to you. If you can't have fun up on stage, I don't want to talk to you. Music yeah. is fun. And how can't you have fun with a guitar in your hand? Oh, you can't <laughs> play it without smiling. Well, I wish I could use the guitar in the KTEL All-Stars, but I can't. They didn't have them in the 70s. Yeah, I thought no, the one was uh, early was, 80s. Uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, Gary Newman? or No, uh, no. That's 80s. That's Howard Jones? Jones. No, well, I don't um, know if it was 80s, but uh, dun, 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 dun. Frankenstein, uh, uh, oh, huh? Edgar Winter. Edgar Winter, Edgar Winter, of course. I, I couldn't think of his name. Uh, he kind of took a, a keyboard that he'd strapped around him and got yeah. on stage with, and that was the beginning of the keytar. Yeah. But they didn't they didn't manufacture them then, they were not things people use. So, I I, I got to be true to the our brand. No. I can't use, I can't sure. use it. So that's a survivor only or your, your personal shows kind of, kind of instrument. Right. Right. Okay. Other shows, certainly the eighties, the eighties, it was all about, it's interesting. The seventies was about hardware was about, you know, electromechanical instruments like the Rhodes, the Wurlitzer, the Hammond guitar. Mm -hmm. The eighties were about synthesizers and still kind of hardware, guitars, lots of keyboards, the, the, in, in the 90s kind of went back to grunge but then when we get back to this the era now it's all about software mm. yeah plugins you know uh stuff to that that's supposed to emulate the real thing um i mean we're living we're kind of living in a in a fake world right now that's kind of well, <laughs> i'm trying well i mean i don't want to sound like get off my lawn guy you know because that's not really where i'm at I, I i try to evolve with the times i try to stay up you know, to, to stay relevant. But the truth is, is that, it, you know, when you've been to the other side, it's hard to look at this and not laugh. In yes, some I cases. agree. So well, God, God bless Dave Grohl for still using analog and, and yeah. you know, like Wolfgang Van Halen. I, I love that he plays all of his stuff and he, and I That's love right. that he just, and he's using Eddie's Frankenstein. By the best, you know, yeah, having Eddie and Alex in your family tree, that doesn't hurt, does it? No. No, of course not. <laughs> now, it is a shame that they are the exception to the rule. And yeah. I, it, but I thought Foo Fighters would be it. I'm like, that's it. That was the last big rock band. That's, and, you know, like real rock. <laughs> thank band. you, Wolfie. Thank you yeah. for showing up. Yeah. I mean, I can name some artists of today that, that are. Oh, Dirty, Dirty Honey bring, brings back a lot of those good 70s memories. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's plenty of people that, that are are doing great stuff and in, in ways that might lead us to feel like they were from a different era. 
but sure. um, the mainstream is not really, you know, right. the, the majority of people, the, the common, the lowest common denominator. I mean, it's, it's going to be, you know, synthesizers and, and samplers and tracks and auto tune and yuck. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, back to the Foo Fighters and the mammoth thing. Uh, and what I mean by the last rock band, the last rock stars, because yeah, There's plenty of rock bands out there that are fantastic, but these are like the last few that have that can uh, fill a stadium, so to speak, you know. And because yep. Metallica is getting old, and you know they can only I know, you know pretty soon they're going to feel like the Stones to us, you know. It's and, a shame, really, because uh, record companies kind of lost the whole. They they lost their way back when the internet got a hold. They didn't understand it, and they didn't embrace that technology like they should have, and. Now they're just banks. They, they they don't really they don't develop talent. That's what they did at one time, uh, and so they don't train the listener to 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 enjoy the re- the record, the album. There's no more albums anymore. It's just songs. You know, it's streams. Here's a song on Spotify. Here's another song. I, my album is dropping. What does that mean? You're, you're you're gonna put five or six songs on Spotify? It's not the same. You know, it used to be when an album dropped, it was, you know, you'd buy the record and you'd get all these songs. Maybe you only liked one song at the end of it and maybe you wouldn't buy another one. But at least it was it was a concept. It was an entire you go to a movie. Can you imagine going to a a movie like Star Wars? You're wearing a Star Wars shirt there, Jim. Uh, like you go to Star Wars and you, I'm only interested in Darth Vader. So I'm only going to watch the scenes with Darth Vader in it. (laughs) And thanks to YouTube, you now can do that. Yeah, exactly. I'm some telling people you, man, would do that. We're living in a, like some bizarro world right now. We, I'll tell you, we've we become narrow casted ever since the mid '80s when you could turn on and you know Tina Turner and Brian Adams and Van Halen and Prince and Springsteen without changing the channel. But uh, yeah, like I said, you, you roll with the times, you, 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 and you make your own playlist now. Right. And um, you know, if we keep going on this, we're in this uh, on this trajectory. We're going to have to rename this to "Get Off My Lawn" podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of liking it. Except for you, damn kids. It would be a more accurate <laughs> title, to be fair. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Um, sure. So uh, I was listening to some of your stuff, and. Um, uh, Christine sent me a link to uh, you guys were uh, doing a gig and you were singing magic and yeah. that song. I mean, you gotta be, uh, I know singing is kind of where you started all this, but you know, you got to go what tenor to soprano in that song. I mean, it's, there's a big range yeah. there. Yeah. I, I got to give Larry Hampton, the, the guitar player in that band credit for f- forcing me to sing it in the original key. Uh, we talked about it and I said, you know, let's just bring it down to F, <laughs> you know, it's in G and, and, and he's like, you can do it. And and he's right. I can, there are some nights I can't, but um, that was a good night. Um, the one you saw, but uh, yeah, it's a little too high. In fact, when I went back and listened to some uh, YouTube recording, uh, YouTube clips of the old recordings of that band, um, they did it, you know, they did it on, um, Midnight Special and a few other shows, Top of the Pops, uh, they they put it in a different key. That guy oh. couldn't sing it in that key every time either. But again, I'm recreating the records and not not just one performance. So 
I reluctantly said, all right, I'll give it a shot. But the longer, the more you do it, it's just like a muscle, you know, it, it, the more you use it, the stronger it gets. So, but it, it is a difficult song. So, uh, singer songwriters, that's kind of your, kind of the beginning of this. You, uh, as far yeah. as you go, um, that was what you did and at playing keyboards, you know, you playing the piano, you can write a lot of music doing that. Uh, some of the guys, I mean, I've heard stuff, a couple of other interviews. Um, I was wondering, can you do Michael McDonald? Can you do his songs? I mean, I, I can mean, I sing his songs? You mean? Well, yeah. There's guys that can sing Michael McDonald better than me. You know the well, whole, you know that whole well, thing. Uh, he, a, he's got a he's got that whole blue eyed soul kind of thing going on. Um, yeah, he's an amazing artist, amazing yeah. talent, and and uh, amazing freaking keyboard player. I mean, he blows the doors off of many many guys, including myself. You know, and he's he's just a one of those guys that uh, you know came up in the sixties and the seventies and just knew his shit <laughs> i don't know what to say he's, and, and yeah, he's, he's, great he's another hero of mine of course yeah and uh, we mentioned post malone he's a great songwriter but he's not a great singer so they gotta well, crank see, up yeah, that auto tune. I, you know I, i'm gonna i don't want to i, I kind of see where you're going with that and i kind of agree but i will say that you could argue and i uh, you, call me crazy you could say that bob dylan's a shitty singer I would, <laughs> you know, I mean, but there's, there's, and, and there's the, the whole point of music, the whole point of, of creating a painting or a movie or a podcast is to communicate. That's all it really is. And if I write a song and I'm communicating a certain feeling or a certain emotion or a certain idea that I want the listener to, to interact with, then my voice, the way I sound and how I put it together is all part of, is, is like every scene in the movie. It, it, they're all important. So you can't really look at something and say, well, he's not a great singer, but for some reason that song works. It works because of all the elements in it. And it, depending on the, the time period we're in, if you just look at uh, the seventies versus, you know, like post Malone now, in, in today's world, he's singing to the audience that he needs to sing to in his way. That audience may not have had the same. He may not be the same artist. If this was 30 years ago, he may be a very good artist. Then he just may not have been able to, uh, uh, communicate his art in the same way. So sure. sure. You got to look at it more like that. Look at it. You can have preferences, though, and you can say, hey, sure. you know, I'd rather hear a guy belt out a song like Steve Perry than a guy, you know, mumble through it, you know, but that's a personal preference. And, and I think I misspoke when I when I say not a great singer, he doesn't have a great voice because I heard him do uh, Better Man, just just him and, oh. him and the guy playing guitar. And it blew me away. So he's a good singer. He just doesn't have a great voice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I misspoke. Marty, he nailed a Pearl Jam song. Yes. Wow. Cool. Amazing. Okay. Smoking I, a cigarette. I, I, whole he did with Ozzy. I mean, again, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I, again, I, I don't want to feel like it, uh, where it's a post Malone bash. To me, it's more like the, like, like we talked, talked about it's using overusing a device 
instead of just using it for nuance. But yeah, you know, and but Jeffrey, what I liked about uh, you know, you go to your your site and, you, and like I, I'm using the word eclectic a lot tonight because that that's how we grew up. This is the the sum of all the parts. But you, I mean, you do covers by ELO, John Prine, Thomas Dolby, Harry Connick, Keith Urban, and Sting. And so, and when you're writing your original music, I, I mean, do you ever just want to tap into? I want to go with, like, how, how do you get into a headspace when you're writing your original music? Well, it, it depends on what you're writing it for, mm -hmm. and why I'm writing. You know, if I'm writing. For me personally, I find writing for me personally, my own voice, the hardest because, um, you know, it's there's there's nothing to pull from. It's you, mm -hmm. you know, so you've got to be in touch with whatever it is that you're really wanting to say. It takes me a lot longer. Like if you said, Jeff, write me a Jeff album, you know, it, it would take me a lot longer than if you said, hey, write me an album that sounds a little bit like Sting and a little bit of like Pink Floyd or something, you know. I, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, so um, how do I get, I, I'm not answering your question. That's how I'm doing this. Uh, <laughs> um, so I think the question was, you know, how, where do I get my inspiration? Is that? Well, I, mean, I just, how do you, well, just getting into a headspace when you sit down to write a song, does it come to you? I guess I'll narrow it down a little bit or well, more specific. Like you from, see a, my, from a keyboard standpoint, do you, do you grab a guitar? Do you go on a synthesizer? Yeah. I mean, it just depends on what you're trying to go for. You you pick a particular instrument. Yeah. Uh, I always lean toward piano because I'm a, I'm a piano player, uh, you know, um, but I'm, I also play guitar. It depends. Uh, I was writing a bunch of country songs with a co-writer earlier this year for publishing. And I wrote them all on guitar because I wanted a certain, I wanted to start from a position of, uh, you know, a guitar vibe, you know, acoustic mm -hmm. kind of guitar feeling. So I didn't even bother to attempt it on piano. Maybe it would have been great on piano, but uh, you know, th that's why I went there. Um, but but generally, if you look around, you'll see, I mean, this is just one room in the house. Every room has an instrument in it, you know, um, and that's not an accident. It's just I like instruments. I, you know, I have my grand piano in the in the gallery and I find myself just I can't seem to walk past it without just sitting down and just kind of playing a few notes. Um, there's something very relaxing and uh, centering when I sit down and just play, you know, just 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 play the piano and 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 not think and i think that you make your best stuff when you're not thinking or i should say let, let's let's clarify that when you're not trying to think you know free the mind not, and the rest will follow i think yeah, yeah right and vogue right uh but 90s um, dj guilty as charged <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but that's, that's a really, you know, that's a very poignant statement. It's true. It's, it's, it's just allowing yourself some space to not know what to do mm -hmm. and, and well, allowing, you know, or you, you wake up like you're McCartney or, or uh, Keith Richards and you need to have an instrument right there to hit was uh, what, what you're dreaming about. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it's a little different. I'm not on tour and I don't have big, big, record selling right now and there's no pressure from record company to come up with the next big single uh i could imagine having that pressure and then waking up from a dream going holy shit i got to get this down it, for me it's a little more relaxed you know i, I right, the projects right. i do are are um they're, there's they're not they're not necessarily 
that time, you know, uh, I got to have it done by next week or something. But, yeah, I mean, but that, can, that can create actually something really special too. You know, mm -hmm. the pressure mm -hmm. sometimes works really well. And you're not on tour right now, but you do have some uh, some shows coming up in Las Vegas with the KTL All-Stars. Tell us about that and just uh, whether it, like where, where starting in Vegas and where, where you're going from there with the well, All-Stars. Um, actually, yeah, let me uh, let me look at my phone. And while you're looking for that, I will remind people that you're listening to the All Over the Place podcast. Our guest tonight is Jeffrey Bryan, uh, plays a survivor, and, and he's also playing right now in the KTL All-Star Band, the the, uh, the the songs from the seventies, and oh, there we go. There's a beautiful thing. I, I we we met, we, oh, mock, I we mock the kids, but we, we can go to our phones for so much now that that comes in handy. Well, I, I could put it on the. I, I I can't share my screen on this ah. steam guard steam yard. So so um, but my yeah. So Thursday, this Thursday, July sixth, we're the KTEL All Stars. We're talking mm -hmm, is yes. going to be at Notoriety Live. That's in uh, Las Vegas. It's on Fremont Street. Fremont. And, um, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're trying to get a residency in Vegas. So it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of an important show for us. We're trying to get some attention. Um, and then we're, we're back in, uh, we're back in, um, Thousand Oaks for, uh, for a city gig, uh, the following week on July 19th. And then we're at a, we have a couple, uh, I call them like club gigs that we have coming one at the lighthouse, um, in Hermosa beach, another one at the end in Torrance. And then, we're doing the Olivia Olivia's Adobe Historic Park Music Under the Stars in Ventura. Awesome. I haven't played that yet. That should be fun. And we're playing a place called Engelman Cellars in Fresno, which is a, a winery Ooh. on August 4th, which is I mean, if you're in that area, that's a show not to miss. It's a gr great people. Uh, they really do it right. They set up the stage right. They got a great sound crew. It's a lot of fun. We we've done it every year. Uh, we're at the Mariposa Amphitheater on August 5th in Apple Valley for a, a giant car show charity event. Uh, we're at the Starlight Bowl in Burbank uh, on August 12th. So, I mean, I could go on and on. We, we've got shows, you know, throughout the year. Nice. You guys, uh, are you going to play the Catalina Wine Mixer this year? The, the which one? Never what? mind. Was that a joke? <laughs> I, I couldn't tell. He, 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 was, he was kicking his stepbrothers on you with, with a little Catalina wine mixture. Oh, Catalina wine. That's funny. Um, I didn't understand the joke. I missed it. I was from a dumb movie. <laughs> oh, see, I look. Yeah, actually. Not a movie I well, know, apparently. Well, here's an even worse joke. So when, when Daniel was laying there on the sand, what were you feeling at that moment? What what was going through your head? Uh, you really pick fine friends to hang around with, Freddie. <laughs> yeah, almost useless. Yeah, that was my big line. There's actually a story behind that line. For all of you that don't know, we're talking about Karate Kid, right? Or Catalina? No, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> definitely Karate Kid. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, there were actually quite a few somewhat known guys in the cast that never got any airtime or you know uh camera time uh there was a, a bigger cast than they needed and in my group there was you know the cobra kai's and then they had which we all know who those guys were and then they had freddy's gang we called ourselves because we had to have a gang we didn't work we sat in our trailers most of the time but we had to have a gang uh because they were going to kick our ass apparently so um 
Freddie's gang consisted of Freddie, who was you know Daniel Larusso's friend when he came to to Reseda for the first the time. The gate. Yeah, that yeah. guy kicks the gate open or whatever. And um, there were a group of friends that he was belonged to, and I was one of those. There was Billy, Chucky, Tim, a bunch of other guys. And each one of these guys, you know, like uh, Ch- uh, Chucky was Frankie Avalon Jr. Um, yeah, I know. Wow. They, Tom Fridley was one of those guys, and his he was John Travolta's nephew. Uh, so they they had a lot of people that were like in the biz, but uh, weren't really well known. So it was kind the of nepotism like a, gang. It was a it was called the nepotism gang, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, not not me. I didn't know anyone. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't have any famous family, but the, you earned the- your spot. You earned it. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I earned my one line. But <laughs> the point, the point of this whole stupid story is that uh, I realized I wasn't getting a lot of lines. I was coming to my my trailer every day, redacted lines, and it was kind of annoying. So I was like, all right, I had one line left in the scene that day, and it was John Avildsen is the director. And John Avildsen, if you don't know, was the original director for Rocky one. Rocky, yeah. He's the guy that invented the, the steady cam. And mm-hmm. that's why they, they, so they wanted to use the steady cam on the fight scenes. Mm-hmm. It was very uh, historic. This whole movie had a lot of firsts in it. And so uh, we get up to the to shoot day and we're, we're shooting on Leo Carrillo beach up near Santa Barbara. It's nighttime Beautiful. shoot. You know, that's when he drives down the, with the motorcycles and they get into the fight, the very first fight scene. And my line is, uh, hey, you really pick fine friends to hang around with Freddie. Now, all I had to do was say, eh, you really pick fine friends to hang around with Freddie and kick some sand in them and walk away. But not me. I was my only time in front of the camera. So I decided to like make it a an Oscar moment. <laughs> and I'm like, you really pick fine friends. Cut the whole, you know, the you know, thousand people there, you know, the whole crew and they're all cut and they're like looking at me and the director walks over and goes, just say the line. <laughs> I'm like, okay. That was embarrassing. So uh, anyway, they ended up doing an off screen line. So I don't even get my face in that line and you can blame, I can blame myself for that probably. But um, anyway, it, it's one of many s- silly stories I have from that, that movie. When you were working on that movie, did you have any idea it was going to be as big as it turned out to be? Nobody did. Nobody did. In fact, uh, Pat Morita was uh, an actor, a comedian, uh, a comedian and uh, not known for acting. He was known for just being the funny guy on, you know, on Happy Days. Happy Days, yeah. Yeah. Arnold. And what people didn't know about him was that he was he had a, a brilliant talent. He could be an actor, but he was kind of pigeonholed as not being a serious actor. And when they, uh, when, when he asked for the role, when he found out about it, had his agent submit him, they, they were like, no, we don't want this guy. He's, he's a funny guy. We need a serious guy. And a lot of people just didn't take this movie that seriously at the beginning. It was just sort of like this cute little Rocky version for kids and uh, and Pat Morita, you know, ends up winning a an Oscar for this movie, you know. Uh, so it just gives you and I it gives you sort of a a sense of people just had no idea what they had, you know. And um, yeah, so no to answer your question, the, the the feeling on the set was 
When's this over? Uh, <laughs> a friend of mine from a friend of mine from high school was in it, and we, we never cared. Who's talking? Uh, Marty. Marty, Marty, Marty kind of froze on that one. So yeah, sorry about that. No, you're back, Marty. I see you. My back. Yeah. So uh, a friend of mine was was in the movie, and uh, he came back telling us about it, and he didn't give a shit. We were like, Karate Rocky. This is who was it? Can I ask? Uh, well, he was uh, the stunt double for uh, Pat Morita. His name was Daryl Vidal. I know Daryl. I know yeah. him. In so, fact, yeah. he lives in Marietta, doesn't he? Uh, he was. He, he, he was yeah, my I twenty years, but yeah, I think he probably does. He's he's best friends with Michael O'Mara, which is the lead singer of Ktel. Oh wow! Yeah, that is hilarious. And and, and I hadn't world. really talked talked to Daryl in years. I mean, you know, we didn't really two paths didn't really cross on the movie. I didn't need to be at most of the fight scenes. He didn't need to be at the other scenes. Um, so, um, but I knew who he was and, and it's funny you bring him up because I actually got to see him after so many years at the Marietta show. It's funny. Oh, man. I, hey, I Marty, you had to be leave. back on the East coast. You, you could have been, leave. Leave. you would have known Jeff leave. before all of, before anybody else here. And uh, man, that, yeah, was a, yeah. I have to say, that was a really fun, fun night. Uh, yeah, at Marietta. A, a guy. great. They had great, about great, 10, nice 000 guy. Everybody people. liked him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a nice guy. He really is. And uh, we were talking uh, about Cobra Kai. I was asking him if he was going to do anything with that. But they they haven't really called back very many. I'm I'm in some flashback scenes from Cobra Kai, but you know, uh, my character just wasn't relevant enough. Uh, you know, to uh, bring back Billy, the guy that you know who the hell who the hell's Billy? But um, anyway. You're like the only one they haven't brought back yet, so you know. Yeah, pretty much. Well, they're what they're in their sixth season, so they better yeah, hurry up. Series. But the funny thing is, is that uh, well, you didn't bring it up, but I just think it's kind of odd that um, Karate Kid, the the theme song for Karate Kid is "Moment of Truth," which was a Survivor song, and then three hundred thousand years later, I'm in the band. <laughs> that was in that song and i mean in that movie and what's funny is i didn't even know who survivor was when i was 18 practically you know i was like eye of the tiger yeah i've heard it you know and it's just so strange how life is i didn't know them yeah. then round to the middle and back again and that's all okay yeah. one more time yeah everything everything seems to be circular it's it's crazy and um, another little fun fact, Dave Bickler actually went to my high school at, in Chicago area. Wow. <laughs> that is fantastic. How do you know him well or do you know him at all? No, he's he, he just he, went to school. He's with a few you. years older than me. <laughs> I I don't know him, actually. I I uh, I should because you, you would think I would have. But he <laughs> Frankie Sullivan, who uh, is the guitar player for Survivor, he's the co-writer of all the songs with Jim Peterick. But Frank, when I joined the band, Frank decided to sue Dave Bickler and kick him out of the band for using the, the name somewhere. Or So I never, I never got the opportunity to meet Dave. <laughs> um, maybe I will at some point, but um, of course I can't meet Jimmy. He passed away. The, the, the second singer they had Jimmy mm. James, but wow, that's, that's funny. Yeah. Small world. And I want to get back to, to the, the fun you guys have on stage. And especially you, you, uh, you know, uh, with the, the, the uh, player song, the ma magic. Um, oh, who pilot. Decides, who, 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 pilot, oh, pilot, sorry, pilot, yeah. pilot. I 
I got two nineties, folks. I got to slip back into the seventies. Most of the letters are right. Yes, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> with the costumes, uh, like because you uh, the, the the Elton John homage with the glasses, everything. I mean, you guys are having so much fun up there. Who uh, who picks the costumes? You guys ever like switch it up? Oh, and, it's, uh, yeah, we're, it's every man fun? for himself. But then we kind of collectively look each other over, going, "Okay, yeah." I mean, it's not like there's we don't really have a, a director or a stage director we we we've we've created a, a product and you know we have a, a business model and we try to follow it so mm-hmm. that's that's pretty much we're kind of self-managed in that way well the ktel all-stars be sure you check them out all the dates that Je- jeffrey listed make sure you go to jeffreybryanmusic.com check out all of his various projects a, a very storied career and, uh, you know, I just, and oh, just very quickly before, before I sign off back to my umpire story, I tell the kids, I will consider giving you an extra ball or strike. I I'm feel like you're hedging. Professional <laughs> Catholic folks, I can rationalize anything. Yeah, you're so, reasonable. See, you're reasonable. I've got integrity, but I give them the opportunity <laughs> to impress me with their knowledge. But but Eric, we can't sign off. I, Jim and Christine haven't said much at all. It's, it's, it, I, I feel I feel like I feel like I feel like I hogged everything. But you're 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 a lot more interesting anyway. No, I get that. But still, I mean, I would have liked to talk to Jim. I'm sure he's very interesting. And Christine, you know, there really are no rules. And, you know, some some days are, you know, more more plentiful than others. And we we just we round robin it and see where see where the wheel takes us. That's cool. Jim is our well, resident. I, movie. I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed uh, talking to all of you. Jim's the movie yeah. guy. He's our expert in movies. That's why I had to wait and find out, find out about Karate Kid. <laughs> <laughs> and Martin and I are the music guys. And Christine yeah. is as well. I could talk so to you about that movie for another three hours, but you I'm know, not going to go wanna, If you want to talk about the Karate Kid another time, I've got tons of info that you'd probably be interested in as a movie guy. I mean, there's so nice. many cool things about that movie that a lot of people don't know. See, I'm glad oh, you sure. brought this up with Avildsen and, and the Steady Cam. I forgot about that. That was you know, one yeah. of the, the early ones with that. So, well, it's not really a surprise that uh, a lot of the people that worked on Karate Kid were part of the Rocky, uh, you know, that whole camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Jerry Weintraub produced it, yes. mm-hmm. and uh, he passed away unfortunately, you know, ten years ago or so. But he he was also the Rocky producer. He was, you know, he, he was karate kid and he, he kind of corralled them all. Scotty brothers records, mm-hmm. which had survivor was the same record company that they used. That's why they pulled them from. And so there were a lot of similarities. They, that was, I, I think, you know, I didn't speak to them about this, but I think it was pretty obvious that they were trying to make the Rocky for kids version of, of that formula. And uh, I think they were pretty successful, uh, you know, in retrospect, but there's a lot of that. Um, you'll, you'll see that there's a, if you look closely, there's a lot of these very similarities to, um, to how they made Rocky. They wanted to follow that whole, that whole, uh, you know, business model, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And right. popularized martial arts. Huh? And popularized martial arts. <laughs> well, they did that for sure. Definitely succeeded that. Yeah. Uh, and, and for some reason, I don't, I don't, you, know, you have kids, right, Christine? You say you had two kids. I don't know. Were they into the martial arts when they, no, but so many kids love that. 
you know, uh, the, the old Bruce Lee movies, you know, uh, and, and then this took it to a, wait, you mean we can do that? You know? Uh, and so I think there was this, this sort of, uh, humanizing of martial arts that wasn't just for like, you know, ninjas and, you know, superheroes, um, which I think kind of made it more, uh, likable for kids. And then they just, they ate it up. You're right though. There's, it, it totally, it, 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 it vigorized the entire martial arts. If you were in the martial arts industry, you had a career forever after that movie. Well, I, my mileage certainly varies, but I don't know if we really need a Jim Cotta, but some people like it. I'll, I'll, I'll let that, that one can survive on its own. <laughs> and well, Jim, did your, uh, is your son a Cobra Kai fan? Uh, he's, he's seen the, the Karate Kid movies. I think he's still young for Cobra Kai. Um, but, uh, it's more, I think it's more of a teen show, but he, he actually, uh, studies Kung Fu. So he's very much okay. into that milieu. And, uh, yeah, he's, he keeps asking to watch Cobra Kai and, and begging. So one of these days I'm going to break down and let him watch it, but I think, yeah, I just want to wait till he's a little bit older, but you think, he, he, you, think you think it has a little too many uh, adult themes to it? Yeah. I mean, I think it's. He's twelve, uh, but I think it's more yeah. of a more of a teen show. So I think in a yeah. couple of years he'll probably be just right for it, but uh, uh, just not quite there yet. But you yeah, know, he's a, yeah. he's a huge fan of those kind of those kind of movies. He loves Karate Kid movies. I showed him showed him to him when he was like eight, and he just he just loved it. Uh, so yeah. yeah, it's all that all that stuff's right up his alley. So Jim, I suppose that's the benefit of my youngest being the youngest of three boys. He's eleven, and he's already seen. He's crazy about Cobra Kai. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like high school, you know? Yeah. Yep. It's, yeah. It, it's, it, yeah. I, I'm surprised that they were able to carry it on for six, for six seasons, but people are just eating it up. They love it's, it. It's, well, it, I mean, when it first started, it was like heavy on the nostalgia. And I know that's yeah. how I first got into it was because yeah. the nostalgia with Billy Zapka and, you know, um, Ralph Macchio, it's just it was cool to see them on screen again, and all the flashbacks to when we were teenagers growing up. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. And then you know, with my boys, we're in the um, uh, what's Will Smith's son's name? That version Jayden. of Karate Kid, Jayden. the Jayden. Jayden. yeah, yeah Jaden, J- the Jaden Smith Karate Kid. My um, sons got into and yeah. enjoyed that one. That was more their age group, but um, it's it just kind of turned into this timeless, you know. Yeah. Dang. I, I know. And it's, it just never quits, you know, um, generation after generation to just love this movie. Yep. And, uh, it, you know, I, one thing I'll tell you is if this was, uh, 1983 and we were interviewing me about the movie, cause I'm in the movie, I'd be telling you, I'm trying to get on my contract. I got to get out of this thing. <laughs> Seriously. Cause I was stuck there. And I was under contract and I could not go out on any other shows during my contract. I was on call and was, yes, I was being paid handsomely, but it wasn't to an 18 year old or a 17 year old at the time. You know, it it wasn't that much money and it wasn't like I cared about money, you know, still living at home, you know? So I was like, uh, I want to work or I want to do something. And Jeffrey, at that point, were you like really trying to track on an acting career or because you like were in yeah. music, like on the yes. um, Love Griffith show at 15, right? So, yeah, yeah. Well, I wasn't trying to be an actor, but when I got, well, I, I got Hot Moves, which was a feature film, which I was in. 
uh, before Karate Kid. And there was a couple walk-ons I did on some TV shows. And I, it looked like I could actually do this. And I didn't know how to act. I wasn't, I never went to school for acting. I never liked acting classes in school, in high school. I, it wasn't something I, you know, dreamt about, you know, it wasn't something I thought about. I thought about making records. I didn't think about acting. So it wasn't really something that I was passionate about, but I thought it might be a way into the industry. And it seemed to be at my disposal at, for a little short period of time. But after Karate Kid and a few other, you know, maybe another year, I couldn't get another. I, I, I was just wasting my time. I couldn't get any work. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the environment changed a little bit too. um, Porky's and Richmond, fast times, of Richmond high. And some of these other coming of age movies were sort of kind of jumped the shark, so to speak. They've already kind of peaked and, uh, they were moving on to other things. And I, I just, it wasn't getting the roles. I wasn't getting, you know, wasn't getting any jobs. And I was like, why I'm neglecting my music. And so I kind of switch gears back to music and I never really left music. I just made a concerted effort to, uh, to, to get, to, to get back on track, so to speak. Good choice. What, what got you on that track? Cause it gets Christy mentioned you're on Merv Griffin when you were 15, but when, yeah. when did the performance bug bite and, and like who were some of the guys that jumped out at you, whether it was guitarist or keyboard or, or just what musically bit, uh, got that bug well, bit? Well, actually Christine kind of nailed it. It was, Merv Griffin show. Mm -hmm. uh, what happened was um, the too short for primetime players was a was a was a, a a variety show that I was in and I wrote songs for. I was probably sixteen, and I was the oldest. And it, it, they had these shows. One was at the Laugh Stop in the Valley, and the other one was at the Roxy on Sunset. And I don't know who these guys. I don't remember. It was many years ago. But the 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 people that produced it were putting this show on for Sunday afternoon matinee uh birthday parties for kids and they were using you know um young kids to put shows on for kids and it became a thing every sunday and it was a great place for me because i was able to like get up on stage every week and write songs for the kids or write my own songs and do my thing and i learned so much just to, by doing it mm -hmm. was like it was like you know fantasy camp you know it's like i was getting to do something that felt professional. I wasn't paid for it, but it gave me sort of my, um, something I, it gave me a, a, a sense of, you know, a, a, a foundation to, to build on. And so it became popular and we started to get the interest of like Ion LA and news channels. And, uh, that got the attention of someone at, uh, channel 11. I don't think it was Fox at the time. KTTV. Mm -hmm. There was no Fox actually come no. to think of it. And no. uh, Merv Griffin, uh, which was if for anyone that doesn't know, Merv Griffin was like the Johnny Carson or, you know, daytime Johnny, him, he and Mike Douglas that, that you wanted to get Mike on Douglas. Yeah. yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want to complete. I've already dated myself. And we've dated ourselves. Let's dive completely. In the deep end. We'll, we'll, we'll go back I mean, to uh, the dinosaur show, you know, all right. Oh my God. Right. Dinosaur. Uh, yeah. I'm old folks. I'm older than some people. Younger than yeah. So, so were, anyway, I mean, we, writing at 15, 16, you're writing music. Oh yeah. I was writing full oh, songs. Wow. I, I was recording them. My my, I, I convinced my dad to buy me a a four track Tascam Ooh. cassette four track. 
Nice. And, you know, it would record two tracks on one side. You flip it over, record two more tracks, and you'd have a four-track player. And I, man, I I got a little reverb unit and my guitar oh. and a drum machine, a little Y10, a YR10, a little, you know, $50 Yamaha drum machine. And I was making Big records. Time. You, you were you were really high tech when you were hitting record on KLOS and KMET to get those. I was. I, it, well, see, here's the thing. And this is why I'm a little bit. Uh, I understand the, the, the younger generation today uh, embracing sampling and embracing, uh, you know, hard drive in sampling and, and various plugins and, and modeling because um, hell, hell, I would have grabbed it, too you know, if it was there. Um, so I get it. You know, the, the thing that worries me is that, uh, and I don't want to get back into this, but it just worries me a little bit that the tools that we have now are so good that mm. they almost don't need you anymore, you know? And when AI gets involved, I don't know, I guess we'll all be consumers then. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, anyway, the, uh, back to, huh? the, uh, the theme song, uh, Eric, uh, he was going to have someone do it, and I didn't know anything about any of it. So, but I just I downloaded Cakewalk. I'm sure you've heard of it. Oh yeah, and, I still use Cakewalk. I like yeah, it. Yeah, and I I got a a little digital digital job here for a hundred bucks, and I plugged my guitar in. An and, interface. You're talking about an audio interface. Yeah, yeah, digital digital yeah. interface. And I went at it. And my dad he, he passed away. He left me twelve guitars, so I got a whole room full here. Wow. But, um, the tools at hand, that is a free, it's free software. Yeah. And I, I went in there and it sounds, it's not great, but I mean, it worked. It, it made me sound like I could actually do something. It right. It, well, shocking. It, and, from that perspective, from that perspective, Marty, that in itself is a good thing because it gives you the impression, a good impression that maybe I can be creative with this tool. And, and that, that, that's, that you want to encourage that. That to me is that's, that's perfect. It just worries me that when people grab AI and tools that are modeling things that are now replacing your creativity, that's yeah. where I have to get a little nervous, yeah. you know, but to answer your question, Eric, I'll just want to finish the question um, that Christine brought up. Uh, so it was Merv Griffin and they came to Merv Griffin to uh, I'm sorry. I did the Merv Griffin show for, for that show I was in and an agent saw me. And said, "Hey, you should. I should get you acting roles." And I was like, "Huh?" And that's <laughs> that's how that kind of happened. But it wasn't like I I I didn't pursue it. It was just kind of landed in my lap. Happy accidents are sometimes the most fun accidents, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't if you asked me if if you would be talking about Karate Kid thirty years later. I'd be what? Why? That movie. You know? <laughs> I would and figure. Marty, I got to say this: uh, quit selling yourself short. You are not a tremendous slouch. You are an excellent guitarist. Shush your mouth. <laughs> oh, and I love what you did with the theme. He probably is. Hey, you wrote it, so I just I wrote laid the down chord some bar chords and add a little reverb and sprinkled. Some so stuff I have a on. question. Hold on, I got a question here. So uh, you're uh, Eric. You're in yes. uh, Seattle. Oh no, uh, no, I'm in Seattle. in Seattle. I, I'm in Phoenix. I, you're I, in I Phoenix. Spent 21 I, years. I, I lived Marty in LA is where? Years, and Marty's down in Marietta. Okay. So you guys are hundreds of miles apart. So did you guys send each other stems and tracks? 
Yeah, I, I recorded it very chintzy on my my Squire practice amp. And click track? What's that? Oh, I uh, thought maybe you recorded parts oh. and sent it to him. Okay. Oh, no, I, I sent him the bare bone. I, I sent him the melody, and I, I played the whatever, a minute-long version of it. But it's just a very simple chord structure that, you know, you, you can hear, what was it, scorpions in there, Marty? A little bit. Yeah. Uh, lift of Rocky like a hurricane's in there, but uh, if you listen closely enough, but no, it's just a little melody I, I like wrote. It. I like it because it's original. You know what I mean? You're not going to hear it on somebody else's podcast. And then I, I think I, I've asked our producer to, to click this one in at the end, and so I mean, it's. Uh, Is it the I, one I, I heard at the beginning? Uh no that that's uh, oh okay. that, that that's a generic uh, Streamyard one. Uh, so no, I I had nothing to do with that one. But uh, nor did yeah, Marty. mine probably doesn't sound that good. I, oh, I, didn't hear, then I, I don't didn't know what you guys are talking about. I thought you were talking about what I heard when we started the show. No, no, actually, we're, uh, I think as Christine mentioned, you know, we're playing it. So I think it uh, when we do the uh, when we finally do the sign off, I will. Uh, I'll uh, okay. play a few chords. Well, I got to. I got to hold. I got to hold my uh, my opinion. I, I obviously don't know what I'm talking about. It, it, right, it well, I, be, you know what? This is all over. Whenever you're ready, we can go for it. All right, in five, four, three, two, we'll just be quiet for what is it, 58 seconds? Yeah, I think it's about oh the, God, the yeah. yeah. So, uh, I'm I guess. not sure if this has the, the voiceover in it or not, but we'll just play it for a bit and see. Well, should I try it for my computer okay. and just play the uh, play the straight up? Um, without the it's better if you play it through um, the you, platform, I'll, I'll be quiet. <laughs> we can edit, want, but yeah. This is why I'm a co producer, not the producer. Take it away, Christine. Yeah. I prefer it better uh, when it's not live reaction by an actual musician. That's what I prefer. <laughs> well, Marty, you like those YouTube videos where it's like people reacting to songs. The kids you know, this to is, songs, this so. is going to be hilarious. Okay. Ready? I'm hitting mute. a weird whammy bar no that, that was the <laughs> outro that's the outro music yeah that's what i was supposed to play oh, was the yeah. intro. Oh. right did you want me to play the intro oh, that play was the full version play the full yeah, version yeah let's hear it oh we'll shoot oh, okay shoot. Well, let, let me try it here and let's see All if right, here can we go. are you ready you ready go tape stretch there it sounded like the the bad tape bed that they had to use at the end of 19th nervous breakdown on that stone box there. <laughs> that's our 19 nervous breakdown 
tell you what, all I could hear was the mistakes. Every part I didn't like that because I rushed through it at the end to get it done. I all I hear is the mistakes. Yeah, people don't really hear that. I mean, oh, so, you yeah, do. If that's all they're listening to. Then they're not even paying attention to what they should yeah. be. By the way, I, that, I, that Marty, amazing. I love it. When I'm editing the show, I hear that song a million and one times, and I never get sick of it. Awesome job. Yeah, well, you wrote it. Uh, let me just show you, you the drum, drum kit I played that on. You have a V kit? Yeah. Is that a V kit? Yeah. A Roland V kit? No, it's a knockoff. <laughs> it's a, I couldn't see it. So, I mean, Chinese, I saw as you, Chinese knockoff. Simmons. Oh, the Simmons. Yeah, that's yeah. that's cool. It's, I mean, it, what, it, what are you, what are your, what samples are you triggering? Where are you getting your samples? Are they come from the, from the, the, yeah, the drums little, themselves? Yeah. You should try, um, if you get uh, uh superior drummer, mm -hmm. have you heard of that? No. Superior uh, drummer? Yeah. Superior drummer. Um, it's made by a company called easy, easy drummer, easy drummer. Uh, but mm -hmm. they have a professional version called superior drummer. And that's um, much better. You'd be well. You'd be amazed. That's great. You basically you use you can use Cakewalk and you you set it up as a a plugin, mm -hmm. and you use you know you send all your triggers to each middle MIDI channel and you can assign, you can choose your kits. I mean, oh, it's, I like it's pretty badass. And 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 it, it, you can pick the actual kit. You can mix and match kits, and you can. I mean, it gets very it gets very micro. You could go down and, you know, stretch the heads and change the, I mean, if you were a drummer, you could get really nerdy about it. Right. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I did notice that, uh, in cakewalk, there's lots of, uh, lots of kits you can choose and then yeah, they have their just, own. and then you can just kind of lay it down. Yeah. You know, as a virtual instrument that works okay yep. too, but I actually played that. I'm, no, I'm saying you, you could, I'm, I'm saying you can trigger these, these plugins. You can trigger those too. Oh yeah. That would be, that the would whole be point excellent. is that you could try to create an environment that you like on uh, with I your see. effects, and then trigger them, you know, with MIDI. Right, right. And that so you don't excellent. you're not stuck to using some some of the samples that you get with the Simmons kit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds yeah. excellent. Suggestion. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you could have so Take much the fun with the next level, Marty. Hey. There you go. Well, let's not forget to do our promo, Jeff, if you're up for it um, real quick. Eric, do you okay. want to? Well, yeah, uh, actually, uh, before we go, uh, folks, this uh, we just, uh, as we record this, we have uh, reached, uh, it was a, a year ago tomorrow, where we recorded our first All Over the Place. And it was a tribute to my, my dear friend, uh, Kendra McGowan, who had recently passed away. And actually, Kendra was a Marietta resident, now that I think about it. Uh, and... Uh, here we are a year later. We are we are growing leaps and bounds. I want to thank Jim and Marty and Christine came on board about halfway through this little uh, re-entry into the podcast world. And I, I could not be more grateful for all of it. And uh, Jeffrey Bryan, I definitely thank you for being the first show of our second season, so uh, so to speak. And uh, I, I had a ball tonight. I mean, talking music, talking movies, and uh, God, we could go on forever with all this stuff. And and thank you for fun. bearing with and, and listening to our, our little ditty there, our, our theme. I with, liked uh, it with warps and all. Thank you. For, I, I I humbly thank you on that one. And uh, but yeah, we're we're looking forward to to a, a, 
growing even more in the second year. And um, uh, we are global. I'm not sure if we've mentioned this before or how much I've mentioned on the show, but the last two months we have really taken off with uh, some awesome, awesome guests and our three furs are taken off. And uh, we are, uh, we're not as huge in Europe as Citizen Dick was in singles in Belgium, but uh, we are, it's, uh, but we're, we're in South America. We are in Australia and Europe all over the place. Uh, and the United States are only five and I can't, uh, five, there we go, all the, my backdrop. I won't mention what states they are, but we are going to conquer those five states in the coming year. And I'm just excited for where the show has been so far in the first year. And second year is going to keep just getting better and better. And Jeffrey Bryan, we thank you for being our first guest of year number two. Wow. You're all Outstanding over guest. One of my favorites. Good luck to you guys. That's, that's an achievement. That's great. Thank you. And uh, don't be sure to check out Jeffrey Bryan at his site, jeffreybryanmusic.com. And you're in Vegas and any of the places that he mentioned earlier, be sure to go to the site and check out the KTEL All-Stars Band, a 70s experience that you're, you're going to dig. Thanks, everybody, again, Jim, Marty, Christine, for being here on All Over the Place. Mach 2, year two. Woo! You've been listening to All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live. If you like what you've been listening to, and you know you have, be sure to share it with friends and family, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, wherever. herein have been the opinions of the hosts, the producer, and the guests only. You have listened at your own risk. Just read the line! What the hell is insanity? Come on!